shit's going down And you're invited for what they selling We ain't buying There is no running There is no hiding There's only fighting Or dying It's going down And you're invited for what they selling We ain't buying There is no running There is no hiding There's only fighting Or dying It's Going Down is a digital community center from anarchist, anti-fascist, autonomous, anti-capitalist, and anti-colonial movements. Our mission is to provide an autonomous and resilient platform to publicize and promote revolutionary theory and action. Go to itsgoingdown.org for daily updates. Check out our online store for ways to donate and rate and follow us on iTunes if you like this podcast. So my name is... Uh, he, him pronouns. I'm a trans man from a small town in Ohio. Uh, grew up in that really great small town Christian love uh, and went on to get an education in uh, music history and historical vocal performance. And then I, I ended up in organizing around trans rights and adjacent issues it's simply being driven out of my own material necessity. Uh, nowadays, I identify myself as a heathen, which is a type of pagan, uh, as an anti-fascist, and as a revolutionary trans-pessimist. And you know, all of these different angles of analysis uh, all inform uh, the work and the activism and organizing that I do that has kind of led me up to this point. So let's just go back to the start of this. What happened in March of 2023 at this uh, family-friendly drag show? Yeah, so this fella named Aaron had organized a rock and roll-themed drag show uh, that was completely, of course, you know, family-friendly and kid-oriented. And the town where this show was taking place um, has some very, very right-wing reactionary officials in power. And I want to be clear that when I say the town of Wadsworth, I am not punching down on the people in the town. I, I'm t- I am talking about the powers that be, the people at the top of the power structures in the halls of city government. Um, but this town really did not want this drag show uh, to go forward. Um, the mayor and several other officials made it clear that um, the only reason they were allowing the show to go forward was that the show had a permit, and so there wasn't anything they could do to legally stop it. Um, but because they couldn't legally stop it, I guess they uh, decided to try to stop it in another way, and they invited, they being the town officials, um, they kind of put on the put the event on the radar of these right-wing groups, uh, groups like the Proud Boys, um, White Lives Matter, a new group that is calling itself Project 171 Anti-Groomer Action, um, a whole variety of different right-wing groups, uh, Blood Tribe, Patriot Front, all of these guys showed up to try to disrupt and derail this drag show. And when it became clear that this was going to happen, because a lot of these groups were making open threats to the venue that was going to hold the event and to the event organizer himself, 
Um, when it became clear that this was going to be a problem, the event organizer made basically a public call for aid. Um, the Paris Hall Patrol got involved. Uh, they're an organization that you know, goes out and kind of uses themselves and rainbow umbrellas to make a physical barrier uh, between fascists and kids at events like this. So they came out to get involved and they were asking for volunteers from the community to come and kind of reinforce their numbers. And I was just one of a whole group of people from central Ohio who went up to be a part of that. Uh, on the actual day of, the hecklers and disruptors outnumbered um, the actual event attendees. Um, I think it was about two to one. I I've talked to other people who were there who think it might have been more like three to one or four to one. Um, but it was a really chaotic scene. Um, the right-wing extremists of all stripes were crowding in around the event, and the police were just kind of letting them crowd in and harass and heckle whoever they wanted to harass and heckle. And it was just kind of left to the volunteers to try to get people in and out safely. So the statement, uh, you know, the, the local government or local leaders, quote-unquote, putting this on the radar of far-right neo-Nazi and fascist groups. For those that don't know, I mean, th this was, you know, in the news a lot, you know, it made headlines. This was sort of the coming out of this group, Blood Tribe, which is made up of, you know, extreme hardcore neo-Nazis. I mean, they literally fly swastika flags. They were recently in the news because they had this guy Boneface at a rally who uh, apparently is now out of the organization because he literally photoshopped himself as having been a part of uh, you know, neo-Nazi militias in the Ukraine, the Azov Battalion, apparently that was not true. Uh, but he does have an extensive record of trafficking methamphetamine and stuff, you know, you know, just disgusting individuals screaming all sorts of stuff. We'll, we'll get into that, but explain more just to how sort of, you know, the, the local people in power sort of grease the wheels for these folks to come out. So one of the reasons that these organizations exist is to find events to go heckle. So for these um, for these officials and other reactionary forces to get them to come out and mess with an event, all they really have to do is let them know that the event is going on. And a lot of these groups organize them, themselves and their followers through telegram chats. They have these different telegram chats that you can join with, you know, different levels of security or vetting, um, depending on how long you've shown interest and how well they know you. But pretty much anybody can just jump into one of these Proud Boy telegram chats or Project 171 telegram chats um, just by searching them up on the telegram app itself. Um, and just about anybody can in that way, receive constant updates from these organizations about where they're going to be and what events they wish to disrupt. Um, so in a way, the machine to mobilize these people already existed you know, through these right-wing networks themselves. And a lot of these, um, these local officials are kind of tuned into these networks anyway. Um, so from what I have seen from you know, screenshots that have been taken of some of these right-wing telegram chats, um, 
a couple of officials in the town of Wadsworth are really close with these organizations. So talk about what all went down uh, that day. Uh, you know, this, again, this was a big news story when it happened. Although I would say I feel like the news media has really just sort of made people desensitized in a lot of way to this stuff. It almost just seems now when they cover, I mean, I would argue there's been a real shift in, in coverage, uh, like under Trump, uh, sort of kind of like liberal leaning sort of centrist media was like, Oh, this is all because Trump is in office. And if Biden was here, this would never happen. And then right. now when it happens all the time, it's just sort of like, uh, well, uh, let's just try to like, sell ad space based on like shocking footage of like Nazis like waving flags or something or you know talk about how the police kept people safe or something like that right right when liberals uh like Biden are in power the narrative shifts over to oh look at all these extremists you've got these left extremists who want their kids to be trans and you've got these right-wing extremists who want to LARP as neo-Nazis and um, the news framing, um, I think, created this really skewed equivalency between the neo-Nazis and the crypto-fascists who were there to threaten and heckle and harass people. And, you know, on the other side, you have parents of queer kids or queer parents who have kids or you know, just any manner of normal people trying to live normal lives, trying to go to this really normal event where a, a performer is going to put on a pretty dress and read a storybook. And really that was what happened that day on the ground. Is You had this event where, you know, you have a, an entertainer who's going to play the guitar and read a story to kids. You have a population of parents who want to take their kids to this event, uh, which is allegedly ostensibly their right. And then you have this massive group of people, um, Christo-nationalists, um, Proud Boys, all different kinds of right-wing militias and extremist groups of varying levels of mask-offs um, coming up to... To really to do nothing but to terrorize the people who want to enjoy this event. And what they did was they really made it impossible for the event to go on as planned without any of the attendees being traumatized. So on our side, we, we gathered all the volunteers that we had, and we created basically just a big ring of volunteers around the pavilion where this is happening. This is in a public park. Um, right next to, you know, a playground and a nice little duck pond. And the performance itself was happening in this gazebo area. So you have all of these volunteers surrounding the gazebo to create a visual barrier, but you can still hear them on their bullhorns chanting all the horrible things they're chanting, um, as you're moving in and out and once you get into and we were still left with the logistical problem of getting people in and out of the event spaces. So we really only had enough people power to create you know, little, basically little wedge-shaped formations of 
bigger and stronger people around the more vulnerable people who are trying to move in and out. And the best we could really do was just give the kids hearing protection so that they don't hear all of these horrible things that they and their parents are being called and walk alongside and in front of them and try to clear a path so that they can pass safely. And that, that was the, that was my primary function at that event was I ended up most of the time, um, functioning in those escort formations. You know, I think a lot of liberals and progressives would ask, uh, you know, having seen that footage, uh, you know, quote, where were the police? Yeah, it was really interesting and kind of surreal, but also not surprising given my prior experiences with police. Um, the police were all over the place, but they were very, very hands-off. Um, they really only got involved in anything when, um, when it was clear that something was about to come to blows or when it already did. So the police were mostly just kind of standing around um, and letting volunteers do you know, most of the escorting and de-escalation work. Um, the, the most involved I saw the police get was immediately after the incident involving me. Um, they really stood by and did nothing when me and the group I was escorting were assaulted. Um, but then you know, once we pushed back and that really upset the right-wingers, and the right-wingers started accusing us of trying to start something. Then the police got involved and started asking people what was going on. Um, I think the whole scene was so chaotic um, that, I mean, police are always incompetent by their very nature um, to do the work of protecting and serving. But I think the scene was so chaotic and there were so many right-wing extremists that the police were actually sincerely overwhelmed in their work of not protecting and serving. Like, even they were shocked by how incompetent they were in that moment. Despite sort of the dreary picture that we're painting, I mean, people were still able to hold space and form a protective barrier around the event and the kids, correct? Yeah, that is correct. Um, you know, at the end of the day, none of the kids were physically harmed or touched by any of the fascists, which is always a concern because, you know, this whole Save the Children narrative has been linked to attempted kidnappings in a few places. Um, and the event was able to proceed. Um, so I don't want to make it sound like, um, like, you know, it was all doom and gloom. We were able to hold a remarkable amount of space um, for the number of people we had and considering the situation we were dealing with, um, what happened leading up to my charges themselves is um, there were three really, really aggressive individuals on the fascist side who, um, who focused on me really early on in the event and in the course of my escorting. Um, I imagine it was because I had a trans flag morale patch and that um, was scary to them or something. And I, I don't know. I don't quite know why they decided to fixate on me in particular. Um, but 
they were very, very committed to trying to provoke me. Um, they followed pretty much all of our escort parties trying to reach the people that we were escorting, you know, accusing them of being pedophiles and groomers and whatnot. And at one point, um, one of these individuals, his name was Nick, um, I believe he is a proud boy. Um, he closed in on our escort group and uh, we were unable, to, let me backtrack a little, this escort group at the time that this happened had had to stop like in the, in the middle of the fray because one of the people we were escorting uh, had a seizure. Um, the, we were escorting a couple families, one family had small children and then the other family had this individual uh, who experiences seizures and you know, their seizure alert dog alerted them that they were about to have a seizure and they told us it was going to happen and then bam like that it just started and so this person went down and our whole group had to grind to a halt to try to protect this person while they're literally having a seizure on the ground at this park and we are surrounded by screaming fascists and this guy by the name of Nick uh, just kind of closed in on our group. Uh, he stuck his megaphone up in my face. Uh, I had a defense baton on me that I held up to protect my face. Uh, so he hit my baton with the megaphone. He rammed it forward so that my own baton kind of knocked me back in the face. And then he whipped the megaphone up and brought it down right on the front of my head. Um, and then... Uh, Another individual, uh, uh, Christo-fascist, running around in coveralls, uh, who had his 12-year-old there with him and armed, uh, was also closing in alongside this guy, Nick. And uh, then there was a third fellow uh, who calls himself a crusader, likes to run around Ohio dressed as a knight. Um, they were, all three of them, closing in and making moves to strike again. Uh, so I pushed back, and as a result, uh, I've been pinned with three charges of assault, uh, one for Nick, the guy who hit me, um, one for the son of the fella in the coverall, and uh, one for the crazy crusader. In your statement on Macedon, they bring up the question that says, do trans people have the same self-defense rights as everybody else? I mean, you know, we're seeing this again across the country of people standing up to this stuff and then getting lots and lots of charges for doing that. Uh, if you Can you speak to that? I mean, how is it that you're facing these uh, charges while these other folks are, I mean, to my understanding, no one from the far right that day has got anything. Yeah, that is a really astute question. Um, I Now, I'll be the first to admit that I did state the day of that I didn't wish to press charges against the fellow who hit me. You know, that's because I'm an abolitionist, because I firmly believe that pretty much any time the injustice system gets involved, it's going to make things worse, not better. Um, but yeah, under the letter of the law, the guys who hit me should be the ones getting charged. This is really interesting in particular in the state of Ohio because Ohio is a stand-your-ground state. Not just castle doctrine pertaining to your home or your vehicle, but total stand-your-ground, which means that if a person reasonably fears 
for their safety, for their life. If a person reasonably fears for human life, they have a right to act in self-defense up to and including the use of lethal force. Now, in my case, I feared for the lives of myself, a person with a disability, the lives of a family with small children. I employed force that was far, far less than lethal. Um, and yeah, like you said, this is not an isolated situation. Um, this has happened in Ohio before, um, not too long ago. There was a very young trans man in, I believe it was Butler County, Butler County, Ohio, um, who was using the men's room and was threatened out of the men's room uh, at the grocery store by a man uh, who thought he seemed too femme for the men's room. Um, so he did what these big scary dudes told him to do, and uh, he went into the women's room and tried to use that one. And then the women in the women's room thought he was too masked for the ladies' room, so they called their husbands to come wait for him outside the restroom. And when he was finished, these these grown men beat up this teenage trans man outside this grocery store restroom. The young man's mother called the police, and the police charged the young man who had been beaten with disorderly conduct. This is also happening in a context across the U.S. where the police are essentially giving a green light to these groups to engage in this violence. And then when people, you know, stand up for themselves and protect other people, too, while doing so, then they're the ones that are criminalized. Because you're you're uh, facing these charges from the state, right? You're not being charged by another person. Right. Yeah, technically, these charges are from the state of Ohio. And meaning essentially like a district attorney has said, like, yeah, we want to go after this person and, and, and say, like, they were bad for what they did. Right. Right. And not only that, but, you know, I also have um, not any convictions, but I, I was arrested in 2020 during the Black Lives Matter uprising, like many people were at that time. And, um, you know, the prosecutor in in Wadsworth made it very clear to my attorney that they are taking that into account. And basically that um, they think I should have learned my lesson. What are you doing standing up for these children? You should have learned not to do that a long time ago when we arrested you two years ago, right? What kind of right. s- statement is that? That's just, right. that just says wrong. it all, there, right? Now, there is a lesson to be learned here, and what I think that lesson is, is for the trans community, is something that a, large, a lot of marginalized peoples within the United States have known as just a fact of life for a long time, which is that we basically have two justice systems here. We have a group of people who the law protects but does not bind, right? And then we have another group of people who the law binds but does not protect. And these fascist groups, of course, belong to the former group, Trans people belong to the latter. You know, what are your thoughts right now on everything? I mean, literally, Pence is talking about a nationwide ban on gender-affirming care. I mean, what are your thoughts right now as you see all this play out? Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting and also terrifying at the same time to see play out because these processes that I'm witnessing are you know, processes that I've read about playing out over history multiple times. Um, the history that we study as anti-fascists 
shows us really clearly what the process of escalation uh, leading up to this kind of violence looks like. Um, what surprises me about it is how quickly it's escalating. Um, you know, two years ago, if you had asked me if gender-affirming care for adults would be on the chopping block, I would have replied that under our current legal framework, that would be really difficult to do. Well, the abolition of Roe v. Wade, because of you know the, the language and the specifics of the way that they decided to strike that down, well, that made the change in the legal framework that needed to happen for attacks to happen on gender-affirming care for adults. Um, right now, I think the conservatives have pretty clearly told us what their intentions are with this program that they laid out called Project 2025. They have made it very clear that they openly and shamelessly intend to create some kind of theocratic fascist regime in the United States. They have been very clear about the fact that they wish to eradicate trans people from public life. Um, I think the thing that makes that so scary and urgent for the trans community is that we have people, even among the left, people who ostensibly identify as leftists you know, all over the left ideological spectrum, who don't seem to think that that is urgent or pressing or real. Um, like I've met and known leftists, even anti-fascists, who don't believe that there is an escalating anti-trans, anti-queer genocide in our country and in the world at large. And um, I think if the trans community is not able to act quickly and effectively against that, it is going to be incredibly easy for us to be eradicated from public life as the conservatives wish to see. Um, I, and for anybody listening who thinks that that's a hot take, I, I just want to point out that there are approximately, give or take, 1.6 million trans people in the United States. That is less than 1% of the population. We have had 1.1 million people in the United States die of COVID-19. We have a massive segment of the population here who denies that in one way or another, either by denying that the deaths have actually occurred or by denying uh, that those deaths were COVID-related. There's all kinds of COVID denial happening right before our eyes, even as it's happening. If we assume that trans people being eradicated from public life is going to look like a lot of different things, um, it's going to look like detransition, it's going to look like you know, people who never identify themselves as trans because they feel like they'll never be able to safely. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to escalate to the point of killing and physical extermination 
for every individual in order for anti-trans genocide to take place right under our nose. That's kind of my thoughts and my personal soapbox is that the left as a whole really needs to get its act together and realize that if they don't prioritize protecting the queer community right now, there is not going to be any queer community left. They need to, the left as a whole, I think, fundament, needs to fundamentally realign some priorities and realize that, yes, we are all organizing against capitalism, against state against hierarchy and depression, but if we keep telling trans people and queer people that, oh, your only path to liberation is to join this primarily cis movement and organize on our terms, we're, we're just not going to be around to contribute to that movement. What would you say the alternative would be, and what does that look like? I think we need robust systems of community defense that are organized by and led by the people who those networks are primarily organizing to defend. And when I say community defense, I don't mean like a small group of people appointing themselves as the defenders of the community. I mean whole communities mobilizing to protect the most vulnerable. I think our current models of organizing are really locked into these really secretive and really atomized anti-fascist cells who kind of take action independent from the community at large. We need to figure out a way to, uh, you know, to, and it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to make people uncomfortable. It's going to involve a lot of calling out and a lot of calling in. We need to figure out a way to show entire communities that trans people and queer people are everywhere. We're absolutely essential to the communities in which we live. We need to show people what it will really mean to have all of us disappear and figure out a way to mobilize the whole community in a way that is really independent of any specific left faction. Instinctively, it's meant to be Coming true and rocking well MC abilities given to you through simpson
minds are dominant, Lamarck's rules, my traits derive straight inheritance, a password and it's hard too. Acquired characteristics, I hit with the big six, to sit with when KRS kicks it. Think it's the instinct, others call it gifted. Secret to a shine, simply that the content is deep. Polished with ink, that is the best part. It starts with thoughts that travel from my left arm down to the index and thumb. Print the sequence of words, second nature next to breathing on earth. That's the pen and paper, heck, I'll proceed with the verse. Hip hop's the confidence to make a speech in this world. That's the task that we rip, that's the path that we set. That's the BASD, man, y'all chant the rest. curious what you think about now looking at the events around pride and the wave of protests that happened around uh, drag events uh, over the summer, because I feel like what happened where you were at sort of was a, you know, an alarm bell for a lot of folks. Like everybody was saying like, well, look what happened there. And it did seem like a lot of folks went out during pride and like did security, did work with people, um, like there were large mobilizations around the country against far-right uh, protests, and obviously some did happen, uh, but it seemed like some really good organizing did too. I'm curious, you know, is there anything that you can point to that maybe speaks to like sort of what you want to see? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think, it, you know, kind of speaking to what you mentioned, it is really easy to look at what's happening to me and what is happening to you know, other drag defenders who are being pinned with these charges and to say, oh, this, this is not the way to organize. This is, you know, this is this black block and this, um, you know, whatever other respectability politics they want to play. Um, they want to look at me getting in trouble and say, see, if you resist in any meaningful way, we're just going to bring the hammer down on you. Um, so don't try to resist at all. 
I think the correct lesson to draw here is that if enough of us mobilize, if the masses truly mobilize, then these situations like the one that I'm in right now um, don't happen because you know, it's really easy for police and fascists to target and harass and arrest one or two or three or five or ten individuals. You know, if you have a, a community showing up to say fascist off, and there are a few people who are really well equipped, who are really obviously like the leaders, the community defenders, then yeah, that should happen. But, um, I think of really, really large mass mobilization, um, like ones that I saw happening in Texas, for example. Um, when the, the masses mobilize, the community defense is successful. And I think that is what we need to see, is we need to see people willing to show up, not, not just in dozens, but really in hundreds of thousands. And again, sort of one of the positive things that came out of what happened in Ohio with your situation um, is that a lot of liberals and progressives have sort of kind of moved in their understanding. And it's... It seems like, and maybe I'm wrong, and I'd love to hear your perspective, but it seems like people, especially more liberal and progressive types, you know, I mean, sort of kind of like the the average person that would, like, show up to a Pride event or, you know, kind of want to, like, oh, like, yeah, I want to go to that drag brunch event, you know. Um, they seem more open to community defense, whatever that means to them i mean you know we're hearing lots of reports of people making those connections and people sort of being like okay maybe these kids in black aren't so bad or like you know they're on to something here um but i don't know oh, yeah am i wrong or is that changing for people you're not wrong i've definitely seen it changing and you know i don't want to make it out like everyone is coming around because i think there is still a huge contingent of liberals and progressives who are playing those respectability politics. But I think I have seen that transform for a lot of people. And where and when I have seen that transform is in the moment when these people experience the urgency. You know, I didn't used to have any, like, I didn't used to have any takes on community defense. I didn't used to care about gun rights and self-defense rights. It wasn't until I came out and started living as my most authentic self and you know, started living in a way that was putting a target on my back that that became real and urgent for me. What I see happening is, you know, for example, in Wadsworth, um, had a lot of people who showed up there with their kids who stopped as, as they were kind of coming over this little hill, um, kind of gentle slope down from the parking lot area to the park. They're coming over this little slope and seeing for the first time this massive crowd of fascists literally screaming, insert slur here, get the rope. Um, and these people are pointing at you and at your children. Um, when you feel that target on your back for the first time, that's when that shift in consciousness happens. And I had this happen over and over at Wadsworth where I would go meet somebody at their car 
and they'd see me in my black block, uh, with, uh, you know, all of the different gear and equipment that I have, and they kind of give me the side eye and say, mm, I'm not sure we need an escort. Thank you. I think we can handle ourselves. And I'd go, okay, and kind of stand back and watch. And over and over, they would round the corner and approach and see what was going on, and they would come back and they would say, you know what, I, I think I do want that escort, actually. Um, I, I had a couple of people, um, one kind of towards the beginning and one towards the end, say to me and um, kind of gesture towards the pistol that I had in my holster, wow, you know, I, I, I didn't think I believed in guns, but I, I'm looking at all these proud boys and these Nazis and all of the guns that they have, and I, I'm really glad you're here today, man. But the people I see who make that shift in consciousness are the people who have to live it. Um, and it, you know, it, it's both really vindicating and really saddening to see people have that realization. It's vindicating because, you know, you're seeing them achieve a level of political consciousness that is going to be better for them and for you and for your whole community in the long run. It's saddening because you're seeing somebody experience for the first time what it really truly means to feel unsafe in their own home and their own shoes. That sucks. There's definitely been a shift among young people about the way that people talk and like understand and, and express gender. And, um, I mean, you can, I mean, I, I see it as, as somebody that's not a teenager anymore, you know, just in daily life. But I mean, this is also something that's like within like the, you know, the right wing imaginary that like just all the kids are being the trans and all this stuff, you know, just your thought, like, how does that play out? Just in that a lot of young people are experiencing and living gender in a different way. And yeah, for sure. I mean, I could, these topics that, you're bringing up are so important to me and so multifaceted that I really feel like I could just soapbox about them for hours. But, um, you know, I think what, what you're talking about and observing is a real breakthrough in information and communication. It, it used to be that if you exist in our society and you are questioning your own gender and the hierarchies that have been built around gender, there really wasn't a way to explore or experience that safely or to the degree that there was those ways and those places and those communities were very siloed off um, from society as a whole. Um, and then I think, you know, I, I don't want to, be that guy who always ties everything into historical materialism and means of production, but the digitization of our lives and of our means of production have made it such that kids all around the world who are having feelings or questions about their gender or their sex can explore that with other people who are feeling the same way. And that's really empowering. And I think Queer people all around the world, particularly young people, are realizing for the first time just how many of us are there are and how many different ways there are to experience gender. And then this backlash 
that we're that you're talking about that we're experiencing, um, you know, it, it's rooted in so many different places. Um, that this reactionary push that we're seeing is very, very much in line with the reaction against sexual and gender diversity that we saw under uh, under the OG iterations of fascism. If it's okay, if you'll indulge me, I would really like to quote this article called uh, The Eradication of Talmudic Abstractions, Anti-Semitism, Transmisogyny, and the National Socialist Project. And uh, I have a, I can link you to this, but this author says, National socialism understands all political antagonism through the biologized lens of social Darwinism, where the biological health and purity of distinct racial groups is paramount in a universal struggle for supremacy. In order to understand this context, we must first understand a little of the eugenic tendency in early sexology. Understandings of gay and trans people were lumped together into one category, homosexual, defined as sexual inversion. Eugenic sexology understood homosexuality essentially through the lens of gender, specifically as the corruption of the male body and psyche by femininity. Trans-feminine people were understood to embody the most severe and thus mo most deplorable form of homosexuality. Transness is here understood as a dysgenic biological defect that must be eliminated for the health of the species. It is perhaps important to note here the presence of a small thread of masculine, same-sex desiring Nazis, including Ernst Röhm and other members of the SA. These men understood their Nazism as commensurate with their same-sex desire, and further, that it did not constitute homosexuality, as it was a manly eros and not a feminization. And I subjected you to that whole quote because I think it's really important to tie this into what is happening in this anti-trans pushback, which seems to be really rooted and fixated on the corruption of masculinity. There was a, a tweet from this really boring comedian, Adam Carolla, uh, back in 2020 that kind of went viral where he said, more American males now wear bracelets than eat stew. So, like the Nazis, they, these right-wingers are fixating on arbitrary aesthetic and cultural signifiers. Um, where, you know, here we have our two genders, bracelet and stew. And the bracelets are infiltrating the stew. And it's literally destroying the West. Right. <laughs> we saw this recently with Matt Walsh, where Matt Walsh went on this absolute tirade um, about his fear that a trans man is going to try to talk to him in the bathroom. And he elaborated in great depth about this and explained how, you know, in his mind, in his crypto fascist mind, um, the whole point of the transgender project, or of gender ideology, as he would call it, is to erode and destroy masculinity. He says the trans woman 
does the, uh, you know, I'm not going to use the terms that he uses for us, but he uses a much less respectful term than trans woman and trans man. But he says, basically, trans women are destroying masculinity by refusing to take on the social responsibility of being a male. And then trans men are eroding masculinity by like lowering the bar for masculinity. And he, he went on to describe how you, you're, you're going to be able to tell if one of these people is a trans man because he, he's going to break the, the dude code and he's going to walk right up to you and use the urinal right next to you, no matter how many other urinals are open. And, and he's going to start talking to you about what his day has been like and, and about what hairstyling product you're going to use because these trans men, they, they don't really want to be real men. What they want to do is ruin the masculinity of all the other men around. I'm not even exaggerating. This is the thesis of his argument. And whether he realizes it or not, it's exactly the same as this Nazi thesis that is being described by Joni Eliza Cohen in this article, Transmisogyny in the National Socialist Project. Yeah, I mean, it's just a weird fashy fantasy world and it has nothing to do with anyone's lived reality i mean you know <laughs> talk to everyday people you know people that are that are at the age where you know they would be in a position to like have families and you know quote settle down and like you know have kids and stuff you know a lot of people can't do it because they can't even afford to feed themselves or pay for housing, healthcare, and all that stuff. I mean, this is just the, it's the same thing as with this weird, like, um, you know, grifters online that want to like LARP as like trad wives and stuff like that. You know, they're taking, <laughs> they're taking all these, all these problems that, that are literally, you know, at the center of neoliberalism and saying like, oh, it's feminism that, that, that's why we can't stay home and like, you know, have a family anymore. Just these like, you know, asinine, right idiot positions that have nothing to do with like the world that we live in and like people are being ground down and worked to death and we're being extorted at every single angle within the economy and then they want to turn around and say like oh it's trans people's fault or something like that it's like what world do you actually live in i really sorry i really want to dig into that point there because i think it's really essential to the analysis of what's going on here the all fascist projects involve scapegoating, right? Because all fascist projects at the end of the day are about protecting capitalism and neoliberalism and all of the hierarchies that that entails, right? All of this scapegoating trans people um, for the what they see as the decline of society is completely, 100%, a ruling class astroturf to misdirect reactionary working class resentment. They don't, they, people know they can't afford to feed their families, but, and the ruling class knows that they know that. So they want people to blame the increasing instability on you know, the decline of the traditional family unit as opposed to you know, the decline of the ways in which we can feed ourselves. Well, I wanted to ask, like, how can people support you? Um, you know, you obviously have legal costs. Uh, where can people go to get more information, stay up with this case? Uh, we want to definitely continue to report on this. Uh, where should people go if they want to get more information or possibly donate? Yeah, thank you so much for asking. Um, 
this, yeah, I'm really counting on the community right now to help me out with donations because um, in addition to these charges, um, once the charges were set and I was arrested, um, my information became public to these false accusers. So I was also doxxed up on Antifa Watch and kind of pushed out of my job. Um, so if you would like to support me in that, um, you can go to my spot fund fundraiser, spot.fund slash justice for life in Wadsworth. Um, I have a link to that spot fund and to several different uh, social media links. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, Twitter. Uh, I will dead name Big Tech. You can't stop me. And we're also on Mastodon. Uh, but you can access all of those from our link tree at linktr.ee slash justice for life. That's justice, the number four, L-E-I-F. We're, uh, we're running a campaign to try to raise as much awareness about this as possible um, in order to call out this hypocrisy. And uh, I'm also asking that if you're in Ohio, especially in northern Ohio, uh, that you show out for court. Right now, it's looking like that court date is going to be October the 24th, uh, but that could be subject to change. Um, so yeah, thank you so much if you're able to contribute. That really means the world. Uh, if you're not, that's okay too. Please just share, spread the word, and follow us on social to, to keep up with my story. Anything else you want to say? Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. The last thing I will say is that you know, the really obscure, seemingly irrelevant undergraduate thesis project that I did was about how the Black Death in 14th century Europe changed religious and secular music throughout Europe. And as I was working on that, I just, it, it was constantly inescapable how much of the cultural pushback against the Black Death was scapegoating of marginalized groups, mostly Jewish people. And as our society has responded to COVID, um, the way we our society has scapegoated trans people and Jewish people and Muslims and black people and just all of the scapegoating that is going on of all these different vulnerable people is mirroring all of the same patterns it did in the 14th century. All of this QAnon is blood libel for, for people with Twitter. That's all it is. And the only way that we are going to be able to resist it uh, as a left community as a whole, but also as queer people, is to rise above all of that. This has been the It's Going Down podcast. Check itsgoingdown.org for daily updates, columns, action reports, and news. Go to itsgoingdown.org slash shop to support us and follow us on all social media platforms. IGD, your daily resource for insurgent proletarian life.